My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets Podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. So what a way to start 2021 with a shine. I have Dr. Happy with me this morning, the fabulous Andy Cope. He is smiling. He is the author of a wonderful book called Shine, plus a myriad of other books. He's written more books than I've had hot dinners. He is a doctor in positive psychology and the founder of Art of Brilliance. He's also one of the nicest men that I know. Andy, (laughs) it's a pleasure to have you on the show with that amazing smile. Tell me, how are you doing? I'm good, actually. Thank you. I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but I mean, this is we're recording this in lockdown, aren't we? And I don't know, don't quite know what's going to come at the other end of lockdown, but I'm good. And I I always feel, obviously, I'm a doctor, I've got a PhD in happiness, which might crop up later, but I always feel a bit guilty about being happy because I know there's a lot of people that aren't happy at the moment. And currently in eight months of lockdown, there are people struggling. So I think I should just give a nod to the fact it's okay to not be okay. But obviously this podcast is focused on maybe some top tips on how we can learn to improve the chances of having more good days and fewer stinkers. Yeah, wouldn't that be lovely? And isn't that what lots of us need right now as well? Yeah, this new normal, you see, I've got this thing about the new normal, and we keep talking about the new normal, and you know, nobody really knows what it is yet. It's been around a while, but it's not really, we don't know how it's going to end. It's not really shaped and formed itself. And therefore, I think, I think there's good news and bad news on that. And I think the bad news is that nobody really knows what it is, because it hasn't yet formed. But I think that's also the good news. The good news is we don't know what the new normal is yet. And therefore, if it hasn't yet shown itself and shaped itself, and I honestly, and this is pretty much from the heart, is I believe that therefore it gives us a chance to shape what our new normal is for us personally. And I don't don't care what anybody else's normal is, but I want my normal to be, imagine, right, I mean, this is a big deal, right? Imagine if we could come out of lockdown in a better state than we went in. I mean, I know that's a big ask because there's a lot of people struggling, but I think it's possible. And the thing about positive psychology that I've been studying for about 15 years now is it gives you some strategies and some some answers and some solutions so you can take care of your own mental health. So when the world does its worst, which it is doing at the moment, mm. is that we might bend, but we don't have to break. And I think you, this is why I kind of love talking to you because you're in exactly that same sort of mindset is helping people to, you know, and we all bend. We're all going to have bad days, right? That's fair enough. But you don't have to have a bad life. Totally agree. I like the fact that at the moment, and as you say, it's an individual journey that we can shape into the future. And I like the fact at the moment that we can actually rewrite the rules because so many of us are attached to a rule book that we haven't written and all these shoulda, woulda, couldas. And actually now we've got the opportunity, as you say, because there isn't a pathway for us that we need to follow, 
we can decide, can't we, what our principles are for the life that we want to leave. Well, honestly, I mean, we were just talking off air, weren't we, having a bit of bounce. And we were talking about actually that making it up as you go along is the only time in my lifetime that making it up as you go along is the only viable strategy at the moment, right? So I know this is aimed at leaders. And I think leaders get really hung up on, if I ask you, how's your sales plan for next year? And how's your strategic <laughs> plan? And they're like, we don't know, we don't know. We're literally kind of making it up as you go along. And that's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable with this lack of security and this lack of direction and this lack of predictability because humans, we love we like routine. Certainty. We love routine, yeah. don't we? Yeah, yeah. And now the script's been torn up and we're like, okay, now what do we do? Well, I'm coming at it from this. I think the, the message for leaders, I think, is really clear, certainly from where I'm sitting is, I think because the rules have changed, we've got a webinar called Leading in the New Normal, which is like just bonkers, right? Because nobody knows what that actually is. But I think your job as a leader, and I've thought this for a long time, your job as a leader is too much to take on, right? If you think your job is to inspire people or it's to inspire your team, it's like a, like a yoke of responsibility around your neck and we're knackered as leaders. So mm. if we peel all that back, and I would suggest to you that your job as a leader is to be inspired, right? And I, I don't care about what... If you can get that bit right, right, and I know it's against the odds because the world's trying to knock it out of you, but if you can get that bit right, then what will happen is that's what my PhD has been about is what I call flourishing. And when you're feeling amazing, it leaks out of you and it creates a ripple effect in the people around you. And that emotional contagion, Angie, that is leadership. That is leadership. Leadership's a feeling. And how do you flourish? You know, what's your research shown you in terms of what that takes? Oh, gosh, right. Well, I mean, how long have we got? The thing about it is I was kind of reflecting on this the other day, 15 years of researching positive psychology, and I've potentially not learned anything that I didn't already know 15 years ago, right? So it is. (laughs) (laughs) All that time. Yeah, yeah, I know, all that time. Wasted time. It's not wasted because all we do is we we already know, we already, everybody Mm. listens to this podcast, we already know what we need to do to feel great, but we're not doing it. All right. In fact, we're busy doing the wrong things. In terms of happiness, we're busy doing entirely the wrong things. So what I've learned, and if you just kind of think about it, right? So I studied psychology at uni. So I became well-versed in phobias, disorders, anxiety, depression, all the stuff that could go wrong with you. And if you go back through the whole history of psychology, that's what it's been about for 140 years, right? Mm. So uh, Wilhelm Wundt, the first ever psychologist in Leipzig, 1879, right? So since 1879, traditional strands of psychology have been about looking about what's wrong with you. Because then, of course, what we can do is once you've diagnosed, you hear some therapy or some counselling. And if that doesn't work, here's some medication that will allow you to function. Right? And I'm not saying any of that is bad. I'm thinking it's really cool. However, if you think about it in the opposite way, what I'm really saying is this is that for 140 years since psychology was invented, psychologists have never, ever, and I mean literally never, studied people who were already happy, right? Mm. On, on the grounds of them not being ill, right? So still, psychologists don't like me one little bit, I'm telling you, right? They will look at me and they'll say, why are you wasting your time studying happy people? Because what's the point? They don't need any help. They're not the ones who need help. And I'm tempted to drop my microphone and finish the podcast here, right? Because that's exactly the bloody point. Who are those people who don't need help? Who are the handful of people we can all think of? We can only think of a handful who in our life who've got something about them, right? They've got an energy. They've got a passion. They've got a smile on their face. Invariably, they've got a spring in their step. They've got hope and optimism. Who are those people, right? Because we've, we've ignored them for 140 years. So what I decided to do at Loughborough in 2005 was give them a warm embrace and say, come on, you weirdos, you slightly weird, happy people. Three things I want to know, because I'm a simple bloke, right? 
First of all, who the bloody hell are they? Who are the handful of happy people? Secondly, what are they doing that allows them to feel amazing? And thirdly, most importantly, which is exactly the space you're in, is what can we then learn from them that we can put into practice in our own lives so we have got a better chance of feeling amazing as well. And I just think that when the world's doing its worst, which it is at the moment, then it's even more important that we know how to be at our best. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So essentially, I, that's what I set out to do. It, it ends up as a PhD thesis, 130,000 academic words that I wouldn't wish on anybody. But if you translate it and you lose all the, I call it, well, I'm allowed, oh, I've sworn already, haven't I? I lose the bullshit, <laughs> right? If you lose the bullshit and you boil it down to the bare bones of, what have you learned? It's all fairly obvious and simple stuff. And I call it personal remembering. I used to think I was into yes. personal development, but I'm not into personal development. Personal remembering is none of this is new. The stuff you talk about isn't new. The stuff I talk about isn't new. We're trying to remind people how to be their best self, right? End of. That's it. Now, and I think most people already know, but they've just forgotten. That's what I've learned is stuff my grandma used to tell me, and I've just proved yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also simple then, wasn't it? And it was also simple when we were kids and it was much easier to think and feel the way that you are talking about thinking and feeling. I'm interested to hear more about, I know you call them the two percenters, these yeah. people who you were embracing at Loughborough and you know, yeah. finding out about their weirdness. Do two percenters have a bad day? Yeah, yeah, they do. They have a, they have a bad day and it's, in, it's the inevitability of that is... You know, the two percenters, basically what I did was I gave out lots of diaries in the workplace and asked people to record how they feel during the working week. And then what I was able to do was then plot people on a graph of well-being or happiness, basically. And if you do that, there's there's a lot of people kind of in the bottom third of the diagram who are a bit grumbly and a bit, they're not depressed and they're not sad. I call them mood hoopers. You're mood hoopers. <laughs> Let's not it. go there because we all know them, don't we? We all work with them. You've got, you might have got one at home or married one, I don't know. But the mood here is, remember, they're not sad and they're not depressed. They're not on medication. They're just a bit stuck in being negative about everything. A lot of rolling of eyes and tutting. Now, COVID, COVID's given them a reason to moan. But they were moaning way before March, weren't they? They were, mo they were moaning about everything. Anyway, that's fine if you want to be fine. But if you, you know, life is a short and precious gift and it's hurtling by in a blur, then the two percenters, when you plot the graph of well-being, these are the weirdos that we spoke about. These are the ones whose psychology is ignored for 140 years. When you plot them on a graph of well-being, they're the ones near the top. So statistically, they're anomalies. These are weird people. So I set out to find them, the two percenters. And, and I describe it like the ready-break glow. I don't know how old your listening public are, but if anybody's around in the 80s, you remember an advert for ready-break. Central heating for kids as a strap line. And there's a little boy in his ready-break breakfast cereal, and he developed a glow on the outside. Uh, which is a bit weird. He had this orangey glow and it was snowing outside. He went to walk to school with his mates on this cold morning and all his mates are there. Oh, isn't it horrible? Oh, don't you just hate the weather? Yeah. And they were sloping around. And our hero, right, you can see him. He stood out a mile, right? He was the only one. He had a glow, which was obviously a very strange thing. But he was the only one in the crowd walking to school going, don't you just love the winter? Shall we go <laughs> Shall we build the snowman? And I guess that... That's the 2% thing. It is it almost manifests itself in a glow on the outside. But crucially, it starts on the inside. And it's nothing to do with ready bear, right? Obviously, it's to do with habits that you... The best thing about being a 2%er is it... Well, two things. First of all, it changes your life just beyond... Oh, my gosh, it's just a game changer at work and at home, the best version of you. But the second thing, it's pretty much a learned behavior, all right? And so, so hang on, hang on. So, so these people with the glow on the outside, they're not... It's not 
accidental. They're not born like that. No, no, no. They, they've got some strategies in their head, largely strategies. They live in exactly the same world as everybody else. So it rains on them. Lockdown happens to them. Their train arrives late as well. So the external world is exactly the same. The difference is the way they're making sense of it, which is, once again, that's a space you're in. It's, you, you know that's the magic, more, isn't it? more about this than I do, I suspect. In fact, you're doing, a, I've heard a little, are you doing a PhD as well, aren't you? Oh, you're kind, aren't you? You're kind. Oh, what, are you what are you doing? Tell, tell me. Well, I will be. Later on in 2021, when I've finished at Cambridge, I'm going to go and do a PhD in professional coaching. And I'm interested to understand the difference between men and women when it comes to self-belief. Because what's interesting about the podcast, Andy, is we ask about the secrets of success at the end. And men tend to say that self-belief is a secret to success and women never do. Women are tending to say that self-doubt and the inner critic gets in their way a lot more than it does for men. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's certainly what the research is showing in terms of what people are saying on the podcast. So I want to explore that a little gosh, bit more. Gosh, I can feel another book coming on at the end of that. That's there is that. another book coming <laughs> on. I'm going to write one with you. Straight away, there's a really genuinely interesting PhD. Instead of some pie-in-the-sky academic principle thing you know like you can use it it's genuinely useful because there's too many academic stuff that's written just to be academic and it's, it's non-accessible isn't it pointless yeah whereas yours is gen I'm, I'm interested straight away i mean that sounds like it could be a thing now, the thing about your phd you you do get gather your data you write it all up and you either prove it or disprove it, it doesn't matter if that what you just said is true or not the point is you will add to the body of knowledge that's already out there which is essentially the phd process and we inch forward as a result. So, yeah, yeah, well, keep, keep me in the loop on that one. I will do. And of course, you've already got yours. And I love the fact that you are Dr. Happy. And let's go there then. Let's find out a little bit more about you. Because on the podcast, as normal, we would ask about the proudest moments of the guest. So I'd love to know about your three proudest moments, if you're happy to share them. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I would say probably straight away, off the top of my head is the PhD, but not just not be. It took me twelve years, by the way. And hopefully, yours isn't going to take twelve years, right? And people go, well, can, "Can you actually take twelve years?" No, no is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> you can only take you can take a maximum of seven. So, how did you manage twelve? Well, I broke the rules. Is a top tip for the listeners. In the end, they just gave it to me to leave. I've just been there for long. <laughs> Are you um, a man who writes like books every five minutes? No, I know. 130,000 words, nothing for you. No, I know, but they're big words and big words are, I don't like big words. But no, it's not the PhD necessarily in the fact I stuck it at it. Yeah. But it's the fact that my daughter, so I was at, this was at Loughborough Uni Business School. My daughter, who graduated and then she did a master's at Loughborough and we graduated at the same time on the same day. So I got my PhD and she got a master's from Loughborough. I mean, that was wow. really decked out in our gowns and our cloaks like Hogwarts. And it was a magical, magical moment. Yeah. That so is that, amazing. That is good, isn't it? That is good. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty cool. So, and obviously then that, I mean, I'm sure everybody says kids, but it's, it's not like having kids. I mean, that was, I mean, wife did all that. But I think hopefully, and, and it's never an exact science, is it? But they've turned out okay. I'm not going to tell them that, obviously, too, too often. Yeah, heads. But I'm quite proud of them. Quite proud of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's really lovely. So yeah, how many children have you got? I've got two. I've got Sophie, who's now 25, and Ollie, who's, uh, I don't know how old he is. I think he's about 21, maybe. Is he at uni? He, yeah, he's one of these. He got curtailed. He, he graduated just 
suddenly had to leave Newcastle in March. Now he's doing a Masters because there's no jobs, nothing else to do. So he's, no. he's basically, I mean, killing a year doing a Masters at Birmingham. He's not been to Birmingham once. He's just doing it online. <laughs> so, bless him. We've got him at home. Good on him, though. It shows that he's resilient, doesn't it, in terms yeah. of bouncing forward. That's brilliant. He's doing good. He's doing good, yeah. And what's your third one? Third one, I don't know the third one. I would say probably, it sounds a little bit up myself, but I do like to, if I'm in an airport or a station, is go in the bookshops and see a book with my name on it. I mean, I know that's that's proper narcissism and self-ego. but Not at all. It does give me quite a kind of, oh my gosh, right? Because I know I've got all the same insecurities in my head that everybody has, imposter syndrome, yeah. all right? So, so I know, so I, I'm thinking Doctor of Happiness, oh my gosh, who's that? Oh my gosh, it's me. That's and then, you. And I go into a bookshop and I see a book with my name on it. I can't help feeling just a little frisson of, wowzer, that's, mm. that's amazing. I can't believe that people are reading books with my name on. But there you go. I'm sure you have got the same in your head because I know everybody has. Well, I said that to you a few weeks ago when you wrote the foreword for me, didn't you? I was like, oh my God, I'm terrified about putting this out. But, you know, your book is, you've written lots of books, but there was one for me that was life-changing, which was The Art of Being Brilliant. And I remember reading that on holiday, probably five or six years ago. So before I went through the transformation and it really made me sit up and think about who I am. Because back to your 2 percenter research, and that middle ground, I think I spent a lot of time in the middle. Yeah. And what your book taught me to do was to push up into that 2% area. And I don't think I spend all the time in the 2% area. I think I'm able to go down into Mood Hoover and I'm able to spend time in the middle. And I have to decide and make a conscious decision to get up into the, into the top slot. And that's what your book helped me to do. And I recommend it to all of my clients now who I work with one-to-one because I just think it has such amazing messages in it and really smacks you in the face in a gentle way to sit up and take responsibility for who you are and for how you live. Well, but you said there, you said, I, I decide and I make a conscious decision. And that's basically it, right? Which is why this 15 years of research is, if I was to tell you that the biggest single thing that two percenters do is they make a conscious and deliberate choice to have a positive attitude, right? And I'm like, if I deliver that line at a conference, you can see the, the eyes of the people are rolling and going, what, is that it? Yeah, you're not <laughs> going to fix me. And, yeah, there must be, you must have found out something a bit more complicated than that. And of course, it doesn't sound like that in the PhD. I, I wrap it up in, in language that even I don't understand. But if you lose all that and you boil it down to, to bare bones, it's two percenters, you and me, on our best days, we've consciously and deliberately made a bit of effort and we've chosen to have a positive attitude. And that shines out statistically as the biggest single thing. It's the most obvious thing in the world, but we, again, it's the personal reminder is, all oh, right, now I can choose. Now, it's a bit of a nuanced academic point, but I'm, it's not choose to be happy, right? And this is like a, quite a big deal, actually, because happiness is an emotion and you can open up to, to it and let more in, but you can't choose happiness. But positivity is not an emotion, it's an attitude. And therefore, it's something that you can work on. It's something you can, it's like a mental muscle, you can get better and better at it. And it's not easy. So why do I call them two percenters? Because there's not many, we can all only think of a handful of genuinely positive upbeat people in our life. And why are there so few? It's because it's harder, right? It's mm-hmm. easier to be in the middle ground, right? It's easier to grumble. It's easier to roll your eyes and, oh my gosh. It's easy to slope out of bed on a Monday with a, you know, I, I say to people, did you rise and shine or did you rise and whine? And most people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Trying what kind of wine? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That's <laughs> but getting out of bed, you know, with a heavy heart and oh, here we go again. That is such a common thing, right? And everybody's doing that, but you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. That's the whole point. Is that's what the art of being brilliant is about? Is a little nudge, nudge theory, really about you know there is a brilliant version mm-hmm. of you lurking inside. So it's almost it sounds a bit cliche, but I tell everybody you already are a superhero, but you're pretending to be normal. So <laughs> nice. Stop, stop pretending, yeah. And in your research, when you looked into all of this, did you consider what might have happened to people before? And and are your two percenters people that have never experienced adversity, trauma, challenge, Ooh. or are they indeed people that have had those things but are yeah, still yeah, applying yeah. this thinking? So that's a great question. A bit of both. I, let, I, I mean, I'll tell you that a lot of two percenters have had significant trauma, which has knocked them into being a two percenter. So sometimes you wait for some big kind of thing where you've got cancer or you've got something horrible or somebody that you love dies. And mm-hmm. that is a wake up call that shit, life is, really is a short and precious thing, right? I've got to make sure that I make the most of it. Now, I don't want to wait to get some terrible diagnosis before my life starts to kick in and be positive. So the truth is some, some two percenters have had a wake-up call and that has kicked them into being more positive. And some are, it's, that, it's, it's really helpful if, if your parents are two percenters. It's not a guarantee that your kids will be that way, but that's probably the biggest thing you can do to, if you want your kids to be happy and positive and confident and upbeat, then you can't command that. What you've got to do is be it first. And the general rule of parenting, and I know that you know this, you know, but the general rule of parenting is your children won't do what you say, but they will do what you do. And that's that's, that's the mm. thing. And they can't, they can't not follow, right? Because it's called social learning. And they'll look at you and go, all right, that's, that's normal. So you've got to kind of, we're back to the new normal, yeah? Where is your new normal? Is it Mood Hoover going through life grumbling, oh, bloody hell, is it Friday yet? Or is your new normal? So, dear listener, Yesterday, Andy and I recorded the first half of the podcast and we got cut off halfway through, had to start again, and I forgot to press record. So he's very graciously um, returned on day two for us to finish this podcast. Andy, you're so gracious. Thank you. The word plonker isn't used enough, is it? eh? I tell you, I can give myself that label. I'm cool with it. I'm cool. Good. Here's a top tip then. There's something called the pratfall effect, right? It's an actual thing, if I can remember it rightly. So the pratfall effect is like when you mess up and you make a mistake, it's come clean with it and admit it. And actually, something in the academic literature, I promise you, you are deemed more gorgeous when you admit to your mistakes. So people deem you more attractive, which probably explains, Anne, why you're so gorgeous. Oh, I tell you what, I love you today. That is amazing. And you're wearing an orange T-shirt, so you look like it too. <laughs> Shall we carry on? Should yeah, we give some top no, tips? Neither of us can remember what we did yesterday, can we? So let's just let's just pick up. <laughs> we might cover the same things, but forgive us. Forgive us. We Tip were talking, kid. Andy, yesterday about this idea of positivity being a choice and a decision that we need to make. And I thought it would be good to just explore that a little bit more in terms of what are some of the tips that you have for people in how they can go about making that choice and making themselves feel like a two percenter. Yeah, okay. Well, there's loads and loads of stuff, obviously. Uh, most of it falls into the bleed and obvious category. Can I give you some of the new stuff that I've only just surfaced for me? And that is, I love, there's a, there's a Japanese phrase, 
Ichigo Ichi-e, I might be badly pronounced, but I've only just learned it. I learned it about a week ago, and it's sort of it's applied to a Japanese tea ceremony. There's the top tip attached to this, right? It applies to a Japanese tea ceremony. I want to give your listeners stuff they've not heard elsewhere. Yeah, I love it. It's almost like it literally translates to something like the uniqueness of the moment or the rise of the moment, and it's essentially like this time only, about living in the now a little bit more. So what they do in the Japanese tea ceremony is they cherish that time. So you could have the same people at the same ceremony, a similar ceremony the next day, but it will be a different environment, a different atmosphere. You've only got that one time to be with those people in that instance. And I like the kind of way that it leads into this sort of wherever you go, be your best self. And I mean, it's such an obvious top tip, isn't it? And it's the realisation that well, it's not just about having a cup of tea, is it, with your other half and just being there properly for them. But reading the best bedtime story you possibly can, don't just go through the motions. Just you're not going to have another chance to be in that moment with that child at that particular time. So become the world's best bedtime story reader. You know, essentially in the PhD, I call it a portable benefit. So when you get when you become this two percenter, you have it kind of inhabit that personality of being the best you, and it goes everywhere with you. And I just love that sort of this time only thing. We've only got this time, so let's make the most of it. So I like that. So it's kind of if it challenges me, it makes me think. The other thing I've only just realised, and I think you're way ahead of me on this in terms of self-care, is having an eye on, because self-care is everywhere now. So looking after yourself, I understand, and I've read your book, and I think it's brilliant, and you talk a lot about self-care, and the the least selfish thing you will ever do is look after yourself, which which kind of makes sense. But the fact that you've got to be kind to yourself, true self-care is being kind to yourself now and having an eye on your future self. And I've been in the game 15 years, this positive, and I've never really realised that. So keeping that eye on your future self. So what that means is when you, you might come home from work and be exhausted and think, you know what, I've had a crap day. I'm going to have a glass of wine. And the glass of wine is being kind to yourself now because it relaxes you. But, and then having three glasses of wine might be kind to yourself now, but it's not being kind to tomorrow's self. So having a biscuit, when you come, I'm, I'm knackered, I'm exhausted, I want some sugar, I'm going to have a biscuit. The old version of me would eat the whole packet, right? Um, <laughs> because that's been nice to myself because I feel bad. But the, if I've got an eye on the future self, and I've got an eye on being nice to my future self, then I'll have a biscuit, I'll put the packet away because it's not being kind. If I do that every day, it's not being kind to the future self. So I think, honestly, it's like, I've been, 15 years I've been doing this. I've only just twigged about being nice to my future self now. I love that. And, and we don't hear that enough because it's always about the inner child, isn't it? And, you know, looking after what happened to you and nurturing that little version of you. But the idea of thinking about you tomorrow, you next week, you in 20 years' time is a real incentive. Yeah, isn't it good? Being nice to yourself now, like for the 20 years' time, so that they will benefit. And the other thing about psychological safety, and I think I know we spoke about it on recording yesterday, so can I just kind of recap on that? Because once again, it's a huge thing business-wise. So lots of businesses will book us to do stuff on all psychological safety, right? Which is I mean, a highfalutin way of saying, that what we need is a team that trusts each other. And when you feel, the idea from psychology is when you feel safe and comfortable in a team, then you're open to say what you mean and everybody can have an opinion and nobody gets bullied. And it's all good stuff, you know, trust and rapport and and all that kind of stuff. But blah, blah, blah. I don't really, you know, it's all right, but it's all well and good. But psychological safety, I think, is a bit more about, are you safe to be with yourself? Right, Mm. And that's a really big question in terms of, are you safe to be left in a room on your own, like with your own thoughts? And I tell you what, once again, 15 years down the line, I'm thinking that is a really powerful question because there's a word sonder, right? It's a beautiful word. I love, I love words from all over the world. And sonder basically means 
that every random passerby in your life has the same insecurities that you have. Because I used to think it was just me. And then I read your book. Oh, you had it as well, right? So the, the voice in your head telling you what a dick you are, what an idiot, and you've got no confidence in who, who am I to write a book? Who am I to stand on the stage and do a talk? So we've all got that negative voice. Everybody's got it. So it's really good news to understand that even the people in your life that you think they've got their shit totally together, they haven't. They really haven't. They've got this psychological... Say, oh, they're unsafe in their own heads as well. So learning to to be your own best mate and learning to yeah. be comfortable in your own head with your own thoughts, I think is just huge, isn't it? And I know I've read your book, right? You've got a whole book based about lots of different ways on how to do that is, is be your own bestie. Love that. So be your own best mate, be more in the moment, be present and don't go through the motions, you said. And this idea of thinking about your future self. So three top tips there. We love them. Cool, good. I, I, th- I, I think they're new to me and I think therefore they'll be new to other people as well. Or maybe I'm just slow, late, late, uh, late developer, but a lot of this stuff I think is, I think what you're trying to do all the time, what I'm trying to do is just give listeners a different way of thinking about personal development. Yeah, so we're not trying to give them the same old, same old, are we? We're trying to kind of be challenging them. It's like a cattle prod. I always find half an hour with you is like a cattle prod. It's like, bzz, oh, I've learned some stuff. I'm like, oh, wakey, wakey. <laughs> you're so kind. You're so kind. Now, this stuff that you're talking about, is this written in any of your books now or is this for a future book? Some of it. The thing is, I've been writing books for now for about 10 years. And um, if we go back to the original Art of Being Brilliant book, which I'm so very proud of, but I've learned loads since then. So what I'll keep doing is updating it and try and find... I, I don't know if you know David Taylor. He'd be a great one. So he's a naked leader, right? He's been he, on. He, has he been on? David's my hero, right? Because I said, David, why don't you write more books? He says, Andy, he says how can I keep saying exactly the same message? <laughs> <laughs> and he's absolutely, he's absolutely bang on, isn't it? So trying to re- I'm saying the same thing I said 10 years ago, but trying to say it in a better way and actually inching it forward. So it does appear in The Art of Being Brill. I've got, other book, I've got a book called The Little Book of Being Brilliant, which yes, I think okay. is my personal favourite. It's not the best reviewed on Amazon. Not everybody likes it. But I think in terms of taking you as far as I can take you, I'm getting into quantum physics now and and all this kind of, oh, it's, it's really interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and also books for kids. So we've got A Girl's Guide to Being Fearless, and we've got The Diary of a Brilliant Kid. So trying to get the same messages packaged for, because it's a learned behaviour, you know this and I know this, because I know that you had a really tough, up, you know, tough stuff going on when you were a kid. If you knew this then, right? Oh, imagine. imagine. Amazing. And this is why I want to get it into my children, and this is why your book's, are so good at that. I mean, I mean, you've written so many books. It's it's beyond belief, really. You must have like a whole bookshelf of them at home. I think the thing is, and I, I think I will have a rest from it in a bit, but the thing is with me, because I've got done the PhD thing, I've got a lot of content. You know, like you learn when you, well, you're about to learn because you're about to do a PhD, aren't you? Is that when you do a PhD, you do loads and loads of research that doesn't make it into your final thesis. Yeah. But it's interesting. In fact, it's probably more interesting than the stuff that does make it into your final thesis. So I've got a ba- I've got a million, million words, like just banked. So I'm able to draw on that. The, the sort of non-academic stuff really interests me more than the academic. And you just make it also real. And that's the bit that people connect with. And that's why you're such a great author. Oh, bless you. And speaker. I mean, I must say to the listeners now, I've seen Andy speak a few times now, and it's just phenomenal. The work that you do in corporates, 
and your sort of keynote speaking is just brilliant. People should really come and have a look at you because it just, it, what did I call it yesterday before we got cut off? It was, it's like a gentle slap, your keynote stuff in terms of yeah. a fun way of delivering a tough message that people need to sit up and listen to. Okay, well, thank you. I mean, isn't it interesting that, you know, 10 years or 15 years down the line, we've been in business training and speaking is we've always been in the well-being. I mean, it's a bit of a nuanced point, maybe between you and me, but we've always been, we've sort of talked about happiness. Happiness is our thing. And all we've done recently is just changed the language to well-being and mental health. Yeah. But kept the same content because the world doesn't seem to connect with happiness somehow. But mental wealth and mental health and, and well-being, they're the buzzword. So what we're about to do is kind of, rebrand slightly but it's the same message i could i mean deja mu is my one of my things i talk about deja mu because if you sit in a conference it's the same old bullshit you hear it round and round and round again <laughs> and i'm really seriously trying not to do that try not to do that <laughs> but i mean you, you couldn't at one level you couldn't be more non-corporate and that's the thing that's wonderful is that you go in and you're different to you know so i've been in corporate and i've had people come in and talk about well-being and they do it in that corporate way yeah. You don't, and that's what's right. Well, you, you don't either, and I think it's that I I, I know your your business is doing really well because what you and I do is we look at let's look at what everybody else is doing and not do that. <laughs> 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 and that's where we've positioned ourselves is let's not do that because if you want that, there's other companies that will do that, but we Absolutely. don't do that. Yeah, mold breakers. That's what we are, mold breakers. <laughs> We're going to play a game now. Are you ready? Well, go on. What's the game? What's the what's the rules? Five second game rule. So you've got five seconds to give me three answers to a question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Andy Cope, in the five-second game rule, can you tell us your three favourite books? Oh, my gosh, my three favourite books. Probably The Naked Leader by David Taylor, which was one of the books that uh, immediately switched me on. I also like Tuesdays with Murray, which is quite deep. And I like the one I've just read is by Ryan Holiday. It's called Stillness or something. And it's really good. It's got some good stuff that I've then taken off him and will appear in one of my own books. Borrowed. That was, borrowed. That's the word I was borrowed. looking for. Yeah. Love that. Feel with pride. Yeah. Wonderful. And now we're on to that killer question. The one that we ask at the end of the podcast every single time. And it's about the secrets of success. And I'd like to know from an Andy Cope perspective, what's the secret? And yesterday when we did this question, you talked about a metaphor, which was amazing. So, Absolutely. I'm just writing a kid's book, actually, and I've got a thing in there about the, I call it the Everyday Olympics. And if you could, I put this scenario, so just imagine if there's, you've been represented for your country at the Olympics, but it's Olympics with a difference. So it's not every four years. So I was thinking it could be somewhere glamorous like Sydney or, or Melbourne or Los Angeles or... Bolton. Stockport. Or Bolton, yeah, yeah, that, there you go. <laughs> And the Bolton Arena there, yeah, yeah, fabulous. And everybody rocks up, and it happens every day. It doesn't happen every four years. It happens every day in Bolton. And it's 10 events that require no skill or talent. So I can't remember quite what the events are, but they're things like working hard, trying hard, being kind, being passionate, doing extra, having a positive attitude, being resilient. And I think in terms of what we're asking the kids is, if that was actually a thing and you were represented to on those events, would you be a gold medal winner? And I think, basically, my secret is that I would. All, all those ordinary things. <laughs> so I'm not really good at extraordinary things, but I, I'm really, really super hardworking and super positive. And that's, that is, I think, my superpower. Oh, oh. 
ordinariness is my superpower. You're extra. You're extra. You know you are. It's amazing. Tell us about the butterflies. Oh, butterflies. All right. Okay. Very quickly then. The butterflies, once again, something that with hindsight has only come to me recently, but I think it's, once again, metaphor man strikes again. True story. I was doing, I used to have the best, well, I've got the best job in the world, but I used to, I used to get out of my house because it wasn't lockdown. And I was doing some work in Australia about two or three years ago. And I had an eight or nine hour stopover in Singapore, right? Which isn't ideal. And I got no idea what time of day it was when you land in Singapore, Changi Airport. You've probably been wonderfully huge international airport. And rather bizarrely, they've got a butterfly farm or a butterfly meadow or something on the top floor, which is a bit odd. I'm thinking, OK, well, that sounds more interesting to spend eight hours sitting in a butterfly, whatever it is. It's going to be more interesting than sitting in departures. So I paid me extra money and I went and I thought I'll sit and, sit and read my Kindle in this butterfly farm. Right. So top floor of Changi Airport, you would not know you're in an airport. It's like the Eden Project. It is a huge <laughs> it's like a huge dome, right? It's got bloody waterfalls and fountains and trees and birds. And it's like a, a sort of rainforest thing. And you go in and obviously it's a but- there's butterflies everywhere. There are butterflies just flapping around. And so I'm sitting there going, this is just so non-airporty. And I sat there on a bench in the park in this butterfly farm. And I just watched people for a while. Then I read my Kindle, right? A couple of hours in, a bunch of school kids came in on a school trip and they're about eight or nine years old. So local Singaporean kids on a school trip to the butterfly farm. And there's 30 of them walk in, peace and quiet's gone, right? Because kids see the butterflies, they're like, oh my gosh, butterflies. And these kids, honestly, they spent about an hour leaping around and chasing and running and trying to jump in and trying to catch all these butterflies. And they were exhausted because it was hot in there, right? So it's sort of rainforest sort of temperature. They were sweating, big sweat patches on them. And they were all doing that except one kid, right? And one kid was standing stock still in, in the middle of the thing. And that kid was covered in butterflies, all right? You almost couldn't see that it was a child because this kid was covered in butterflies. And I remember thinking at the time, thinking, oh, that's really cool. Three years later... I'm like sitting there going, oh, my gosh. I mean, is that not a metaphor for happiness or what? Are we so busy chasing and running and jumping and relentlessly pursuing, sweating buckets in this pursuit of happiness, whereas maybe the secret is to stop and be in the moment. And if we just – maybe happiness isn't a pursuit. Maybe if we just stopped for long enough, happiness would have time to catch up with us. I'll leave you with that. (laughs) <laughs> you know what and it's the second time i've heard it and it still gives me goosebumps i love that story brilliant we did it yesterday you've been brilliant on take two andy oh great stuff well hopefully i've not <laughs> revised too much of the stuff in take one because i can't honestly remember a lot, a lot goes on doesn't it but anyway it's been a pleasure it's always a pleasure talking to you i always learn i always end up learning more than i'm probably i should i i think yeah anyway so thanks for having me thanks for having me and thanks for listening oh, it's gonna join Thank you very much. I've been checking the recording every few seconds while you've been talking. And we've recorded, Andy, so it's all good. Thank you so much. All right, well done. For giving up your time and for getting everybody set for 2021. You're an absolute star. Go and buy Andy's books because they're all brilliant. And I look forward to seeing what you do next. Fantastic. Happy New Year, everybody. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. 
Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.